Thank you, guys. Well, here we are. Acts behind us and Mark in front of us. We're only going to do one verse today. And it'll take us an hour. So uh, open your Bible to Mark 1. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We will go no further. This is going to be an exciting adventure for us. I'm excited to get in. I've been waiting. But yet at the same time, I just love the book of Acts so much. I wanted to stay there. And I think that uh, you know, just even in God's providence and him working all this out, I think it was so important for us to see again that what the vision of the church is, what, what is the church all about? When people, I hope that in your mind, that when someone mentions church, you think of the adventure that we just had in the book of Acts. Of course, this church has been planted nine years ago in November, and uh, just even a lot of my classmates in California, they were just saying, I, we were doing these evaluations, and we were talking, and they just said, it just, I, I know you're going through the book of Acts, but I just can't help but think that maybe the reason why you named your church Antioch is because you're really living out the church in Antioch. I mean, that's, that's who you are. I'm like, I, I, I guess you could say that, yeah. And um, he's like, you guys are just an apostolic people. And in that world, it is not often talked about apostolic or apostles. And uh, it just was a, really a compliment to this church, honestly, just to, that you guys are truly an apostolic people. We are. And we want to live it out. We don't, we're not just interested in just all the little nuances of Scripture. All the details are important. Of course, as we look through the book of Acts, and we went line by line through the entire book of Acts this last calendar year, and that was such a joy. But I hope that as we look back at those years that it was said that, hey, we just didn't learn about the book of Acts, but we lived it, and we lived it well. And so with that background of the book of Acts, and I think it's just even more profound, you might think, well, maybe we should have gone through Mark first and then gone to the book of Acts, I suppose. But I think we can learn even better in a way that as we look through the book of Acts, we're now going back to what Mark says, the beginning of the gospel. So now we're going to go back in time, if you will, to see who Jesus is is who he says he is. It, he is. He is absolutely 100% the Son of God, and we're going to see how he is as, he, as we go through this glorious gospel. It's often forgotten. I mean, I know that many of us like the Gospel of John. It's a very popular gospel. That was written uh, in the 90s, and then also uh, the Luke was written somewhere in the 60s, and then Matthew was written first, somewhere in the late 50s, and those are more the popular gospels. Mark was, is the shortest one, and uh, often gets forgotten, but I love the book of Mark because it is action-focused, and it, you could see multiple times, if, if you're just a, I guess a cursier reading of, uh, of, of Mark, you can kind of look and see that he's used the word immediate, 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 immediately, immediately, and uh, it, it was written to the Romans, or the people in Rome, uh, they were Gentile believers, they didn't know much of Jewish history, and so Mark gave him a very simple gospel, an overview of, uh, of Jesus' life. But uh, before we get into that, I, I want to just say that my passion uh, in life uh, is to 
help you understand the scriptures. I, I want you to be a lifelong student of the scriptures. It was my delight to take some of the elders to, uh, to the other side of Orlando, the Disney area, and we just did the, the first weekend retreat for ADS 1.0, and it was awesome to see 23 students just hungry to know God's word. And as they were going through the, the, uh, their testimonies every year, we, we they about three to five minute testimonies. And each one of them basically said the same thing. I don't know if they were just copying off each other, but they were saying the same thing. And two things kind of rose to the top that I heard uh, were one, uh, they just wanted a more disciplined life. They wanted to live this out. They wanted to learn how to live these gospel truths out. And the second one was, man, I just want to know the Bible. I want to know who God is through the, through the scriptures. And uh, that's what we're going to do. And then we, we have our second school, Antioch 2.0, Antioch Discipleship 2.0. And uh, we have, a, I think, 50-ish students that are there. And uh, we have about 80 total, just maybe shy of that, 75, 80 students Total that will be meeting here next week. Sunday night will be the first class for both, both classes. And so you can be praying for us. And then also uh, the Miami administration team asked for me to share vision and to wear the sweatshirt here that we are going to Miami as a constant reminder throughout the message that you'll be reminded to sign up if you haven't done that so far. So uh, there's your vision. Sign up, go, live it out, be the church in Miami. Uh, you won't regret that. I think most of us know uh, how things work here in the last nine years. We've gone from over the Pacific Ocean to Japan and over the Atlantic to Europe and uh, you know, some of us in other, many more places in Europe than just one, but uh, during the European crisis, the, the refugee crisis in Europe, and that was a, an incredible trip there as well. And of course, because of the pandemic, we want to get to Europe and we want to get back to Japan. In fact, we probably go to both places this next summer, but uh, we just don't think that's possible. And so we're praying through another domestic trip for June this time, the end of June. And so we're most likely settling in on uh, San Francisco. And so the most likely we'll be going out there as well to share the gospel. And so I I say that with sadness because I, I really wanted to get overseas in the summer, but that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but we are going to go domestically again. And so just know that these things are, there's always something around the corner. And so you might be thinking, you know, uh, why are you a year ahead? That's just the way I think, first of all. But uh, I think it is important that you guys sign up, even if it is for I don't know. For a, can you, is there another shorter version of Miami? I don't know. I think it's just all or nothing. I'm not sure. Uh, there are weekend. I guess okay. There is a weekend trip. So wanted to make sure before I create an absolute headache for our administration team. But um, I, I think it it is important that we live out James. My fear in going deeper in the Bible. This is just going to be basically an intro today, but it's going to be awesome looking at the author, we're just going to spend some time looking at the author of Mark and the profound nature and how God used him to write this glorious gospel. And we're going to get in there in a second. But my fear is that we spent the first so many years of this church just saying, hey, look, we don't have a lot of theology. We don't have, not that we didn't have it, 
but we're not focused on all the nuances of Scripture and going deep in the, the Word of God. It was just basically saying, hey, we, we, know, about the, we know some passages in the Word. We're going to take that and we're going to do it. And we just said yes to the Lord. We said yes to discipleship, yes to family and life group. We said yes to mission. And God's blessed us for so many years. And my fear is that as we shift, because we've, we, have to, we, we wanna be in this thing for the long haul, and now this is the season we're going deeper in the word, and we're gonna go through books of the Bible. And not that, that we haven't done that, we have, but we're gonna, this is a unique season that we're gonna be in. And my fear is that this church will shift from doing to knowing, and that's not how it works. And that we're called to do both. That God's called us to be people that know the word, that grow in the continued knowledge of Jesus Christ and the word of God, but that we live it out. And we should never feel coerced to go on mission. We should feel compelled. Amen? And to know that it's on the schedule to have a disciplined life to say, okay, in November, we're going to the city of Miami. And then in June, we're to the West Coast. And, you know, we have, and then hopefully in 2023, at some point, we'll eventually get back to normal and go overseas. But our burden is the U.S. right now. It's a mess in the U.S. I'm not even, that's not even a political statement. It's just, it is what it is. There's a lot of lost people right here in our backyard and in our country Let's serve them. Let's share the gospel with them. Let's just say, hey, Lord, you know, you, you've allowed these circumstances to happen. I'm going to serve you in that. And we're going to do that. And it's going to be a glorious time together. And I would just encourage you guys, whether you're family or young adults or college, sign up and go. And, uh, and families, if you're down in the South Florida area too, and you're listening online or you're here, come, join us. Uh, we're going to be on the... Uh, U of, they call it the U of M campus, University of Miami, and then also uh, FIU campus as well. And it's going to be, um, I, I think they're calling it, I don't know, if they're calling it family reunion, which I, I like that. That's not to say that, that we're, we're, we're now taking our mission cap off and we're going on vacation. <laughs> it's not what we're doing. It's not an Antioch vacation trip. But what we're saying is that Washington, D.C. was just so, uh, busy. I mean, it took an hour uh, to get to a place and an hour back in traffic, in D.C. traffic. It was, it was intense. It was a lot of missions. It was a lot of sharing the gospel. We're going to do the exact same thing in Miami, but we're strategically trying to make it where that, it, the, the rides are not as long and so that we can focus a little bit more on the discipleship time, the time together. Uh, and that's super important as we have so many new people coming into the church. I see so many new faces that what I don't want to happen is people to come in and be like, okay, it's just mission. I don't really know anybody. It's just work. But yet we're doing it together as a family. And then also uh, on the other side of things, I don't want people coming in saying, well, it's just all about the Bible. They're just, you know, we're just learning stuff and uh, we need a place to really live it out. And that'll be an accelerated time, uh, more in-depth time to really live out your faith, but doing it together as a family, but also growing in the word of God. Uh, we've been praying through about just a theme uh, for Miami too as well. We don't always have to have a theme, but I think it is important to, um, uh, to have something to kind of bring, something cohesive to bring everything together. And so we've been praying through maybe going through the book of Ruth together. Uh, so four chapters, four lessons, it's, it's gonna be awesome. Um, and Ruth is a precious book. In fact, Nicole and I, when we first got saved, 
uh, our freshman year of college, we went to a, a retreat in Michigan. And uh, I, I was so touched. I still remember that, those messages from Ruth. And it just, uh, I just felt like the, the Lord laid on my heart the, the book of Ruth during that time. And it's such a, uh, it's such a book about redemption. Um, and, you know, it's also a book about when circumstances are uh, not working in your favor, you can see how God will take those uh, tough circumstances in your life and work them for your good. And so even in the midst of all the craziness and, and, and even for us thinking, hey, we plan, you know, but also James 4 says that uh, it'd be wise to say, if the Lord wills. And so we, we even hold these plans very loosely. But that's a gr- even a greater theme to kind of tuck into to Ruth as well and saying that there's been a lot of change in these last 18 months. And you know what? Most likely there will be until Jesus comes back, right? And we have to learn to kind of adapt and go with the flow. But you know what doesn't change? His word. And that's why we want to get deeper in God's word because honestly that's the only thing that makes sense these days. And so, if you will, just turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Like I said, we're going to do one, one verse, and I, I'm going to pray before we get into things, and then we're going to just do a, a nice little flyover, I guess, of 16 chapters and, and look at the author of, of Mark. It's going to be exciting as we get in. All right, ready? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. I pray, God, that you would excite us I pray that we would get into the mind of Mark, that we would understand why he wrote this gospel and how it's different from the others and how it can actually transform and change our lives. Like you said, like Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, that it is your inspired word. Like Peter wrote later, that it is the more sure prophecy, even greater than even our experiences, that your word never changes. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the wisdom and discernment that you take us deep into this book. And God, I pray that we would, uh, we would look more like you. Which is the purpose of Scripture, to look more like you, to shape us. And I pray for a humility in us that maybe even some that maybe think they know or uh, maybe even some that just say, you know, maybe they're bored with the word of God or they're struggling to even get into the word. I pray for your grace in their life. That truly it is a miracle from start to finish, salvation and, and hungering after you and understanding and how you illuminate our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit to even get us into the word, but also to understand it. And I pray, Lord, that we would have an understanding of your word not, and that we would not just stop there at hunger and understanding, but we would, like Ezra said in chapter 7, as he studied the word as a priest, he lived it out and he taught it to others. And like Nehemiah said, that he gave the sense to the people, that people would have a sense of God's word. He would make it so that they would understand And like Ephesians 4, that there are teachers in the Bible to help us understand that that doesn't take away from that personal time in the study. But I pray that these times together on Sunday morning would ignite a fire in people's hearts so that they would have even a greater hunger 
and a greater understanding and a greater boldness to get into your word, to understand, to live it, and then to preach it to their neighbor, to the campus. And then as we go on mission to Miami and the different parts of the world in the days to come, that they would take that word that they know so well and they would give it to other people. In Jesus' name, amen? All right, let's do this. All right, so let me give you a little background of John Mark. That is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And so as we, I'm not gonna go too deep into this, but I don't know when it was. It was probably six months ago, if that. We went uh, in the Gospel, I'm sorry, the book of Acts in chapter 12. So let's go there and look at the, the background of Mark. And so we pick up with, there's a great persecution happening and Mark, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, Peter was arrested and he was just going to be like James, killed. And the next morning they were going to take him out and kill him. And so we pick up here in verse 6 of Acts chapter 12. So on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and the light shone in, shone in, the, in the cell and struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap up your cloak around you and follow me. And he went around and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now he had a vision, and remember in chapter 10, he had a vision, a trance, he was in a trance, and uh, the, the, the sheet was lower, all those animals. And so he thought maybe this is another one of those things. And then he said in verse, uh, in verse 10, when they passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate in, that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel departed from him, and when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure, I suppose all of us would know for sure after that, that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod <laughs> and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark. And so this is the first time we see John Mark in the scriptures where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. So listen, these people were having a prayer meeting about Peter getting out of prison. Peter got out of prison and they didn't believe that their prayers possibly could be answered. They said to her, you are out of your mind. There's no way. But Peter continued knocking persistent Peter. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. By motioning of, to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Guess whose ears were listening? Mark. Probably astonished. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. So in other words, Report to James. Now, that James, the disciple of Jesus, just got killed. We saw that just moments ago in chapter 12. So who's this other James? This is James, Jude's brother and the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, who was at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. He was the, one of, the head of the church. So in other words, they said, look, tell your leader that 
I'm alive. <laughs> then he left and went to another place. Now the day came and there was a small, small disturbance among the soldiers to what, had, what have, could become of Peter when Herod, Herod had searched for him and had not found him. He examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And then, then you saw later the death of Herod. And so who is Mark? He's this little, he's little guy. Don't, we don't know the age, but he's still living with his mom. And why don't they mention the husband, where's the husband? Most likely Mary, who, how many Marys have you read in the Bible? So in order to distinguish Mary in that instance, he said Mary, the mother of John Mark. The reason why the husband's not in the picture is most likely it's, he's a, she's a widow. They would have in those times said the, the house of the father, but in this case it was the house of the mother because most likely was a widow. Who else, what else do we know about him? Colossians 4.10, it says that he's also the cousin of Barnabas. And so in Barnabas, we know there's a Levite. And perhaps that it was the case that Barnabas was also a servant in the temple and then was used powerfully by God. We know about that. But John Mark was, was a helper. He keep, in, all throughout the scriptures, anytime you see even Mark mentioned, it says that he was a helper. He was a servant. He was a, it was a humble man. And he continued to serve in the temple. And then you pick up in Acts uh, 13, or actually at the end of 12, you see uh, Paul and Barnabas returning to Jerusalem. They pick up John Mark with them, and they bring, them, bring him to Antioch for service. And so it was most likely Barnabas was saying, hey, this guy's good. You can trust him. He's my cousin. Uh, he's a hard worker, and he could probably be used for your mission along with Paul. And so Paul, uh, as you look at Acts 13, I'm sorry, yeah, Acts 13, 5, uh, or 12, I'm sorry, 12, 13, 5. I'm a little scattered today, sorry. Uh, 13, 5. When they reached Salmis, Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And when they also, they also had John as their helper, and so he went on a mission with them. But then later in verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So what happened there? As we looked earlier at this study, he most likely because of that horrendous journey through those mountains and getting sick, he probably just decided to say, hey, I no longer could journey with you and uh, I don't know if you want to say I, I think the words probably are too strong that he's a coward I don't know about that but he decided to go back home he didn't go back to Antioch but he went back to Jerusalem and that's important as we look later at the at his character and then in Acts 15 we pick up in 1537 Acts 1537 Paul didn't like that, did he? 1537, Barnabas wanted to see John called Mark along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who deserted them in Pamphylia and, and had not gone with them to work. And so perhaps Paul was 
remembering the time that he had deserted him and said, look, if we bring this guy with again, it's most likely going to end up that way. And then occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and committed to him and to the grace of, and by the grace of God, he started his second missionary journey. But then we also see later on in Colossians, Colossians 4.11, that he was restored. Somehow, Paul forgave him and said, hey, he could be useful to me in my ministry. And if you saw the last couple of weeks, we saw that Paul was then in prison for the first time for two years uh, under house arrest, if you will, and wrote those four letters. And one of the things he said at the end in, in Colossians 4.11, Mark is a helpful companion to me and began, this was, this, it was probably in the late 60s. And as you back up the, the time that we see in Acts 12, that was in the mid 40s. And so you're talking 20 years later, there was some sort of restoration in his life and he could be used by Paul, the great apostle. By that time, everyone knew him. And it was probably such an honor at that point, seeing all the work that he's done and all the letters he had written towards the end of his life, uh, to be Mark was such a great honor to be used by Paul himself. And then you see in Philemon 24, he's also a fellow worker of Paul. And then the really interesting thing, if you, after looking at those, those two years in prison and then towards the very end of Paul's life, right before he got his head chopped off in Rome by Nero, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he calls for Who? Mark. This is the most desperate situation Paul has ever been in, the, the place where he felt the most out of control, most likely his entire life, and knew exactly the fact that the Lord would take his life and, and uh, said, hey, look, I have no grudges before I die. I'm dying without regret, and I've been, uh, I've re- totally was restored I have no offense towards this man. But if you, I mean, to be under Paul probably would have been such a privilege, but not only that, but he was not only under the super apostle Paul himself, but also under Peter. And you might not know this, but let's look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5. There's a little spot here that maybe none of you guys have really noticed before, but I think is really important. And this is why, it is important for Mark's gospel. But 1 Peter 5, 13, it says, She who is in Babylon, which is a code name for Rome. And it says uh, they, it would have been too much to say Rome. It would have endangered most of those people because Paul, I mean, Peter is in Rome right now at that time. Uh, he, was, he had spent most of his time where? In Jerusalem at the, the head church there in Jerusalem and so after that time there is serving, he went to Rome and he wrote a letter to the people there and that were in persecution. And he says this, she who is in Babylon, or she, meaning the church, who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. I don't think Peter's blood son was named Mark. This is talking about Mark, John Mark, 
And not only did this man had the privilege of being a disciple, basically, of Paul and Barnabas, but also Peter. And most likely, they spend time together. And what I think is really interesting with the whole thing here is that uh, John Mark got to be a mentor of both Peter and Paul. But what happened to Peter? If you look back at the Gospels, if you look at the life of Peter, the interesting thing about him is that in Mark eight twenty seven. He, in Mark 14, in John 21, and 1 Peter 5, it gives us a bunch of clues as to the nature of Peter and then gives us a great clue on who Mark was and why he wrote this amazing gospel. How many times did Peter mess up in his life? A lot, right? I mean, he basically had his foot in his mouth most of the time when he was with Jesus. And you see him make this glorious, incredible statement in the middle of Mark's gospel. And he says, and then you also see it as well in Matthew 16. But you see this incredible uh, statement that said, you are the son of God. That's what he tells Jesus. And Jesus says, that's a glorious statement that only possible, makes it only possible if my father gave that to you. And then literally A moment later, he's rebuking Jesus as Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. And at the end of John, you see him being restored. Peter's being restored, and then he writes 1 Peter 5. And in 1 Peter 5, it says that he's talking about being a shepherd because in John 21, Jesus is saying, look, I want you to feed my sheep. Your whole life is going to be about feeding my sheep. And in Acts 2, he preaches amazing message the church is born uh, church is born he's the the head of the jerusalem church and then uh i'm sure that as he's walking with his his disciple mark he's teaching him about what about restoration about the grace of god it's basically saying look mark your whole life for the last 20 years has been all bent out of shape because you disappointed Paul. But because of your humility, because of your commitment to Christ, God's going to use you powerfully. And you're going to write one of four Gospels. And as Peter's unloading on him about who Jesus was, because Mark never got the privilege of walking with our Lord But Peter did. And I'm sure Mark was watching uh, Peter preach, you know, in Jerusalem. And basically gallivant that whole, gallivant around that whole area preaching. And I'm not saying Mark was probably writing those things down. He probably wasn't. He was just watching, observing, and seeing literally the church unfold. What I find so amazing about this story is that it's just about an ordinary man that was used powerfully by God to write one of four amazing gospels that we have today. And you look at Mark's life and you're thinking, how in the world did he get to have this privilege? And as I'm looking at that even, I ask myself that, why do I get this privilege? Why does anybody get this privilege? Why does you as a life group leader get the privilege that you get to open up the word of God week after week and simply read it to your 
small flock, feed his sheep. Why does anybody get to serve on Sunday morning and sing the gospel or welcome people into the church? It's just because God saves sinners like you and me, doesn't he? As I look back at the background, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not enough just to look at Mark chapter 1 and just saying, well, here's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But as you dig deeper, you see this, this story unfold behind the scenes of this man named John Mark, who had a mom named Mary, who witnessed the, the capture of Peter and the deliverance of Peter and came to his house. Probably got out of bed. He was probably small. He probably got out of bed. What in the world's happening? Rhoda, what's going on? Well, Peter just came. Really? Prayer works. It's amazing. And you got to see Peter preach the gospel. And then there's just this little interesting note in Mark, which I'm sure as I would imagine has confused you as much as it's confused me. But at the end of Mark 15, there's this interesting statement here uh, that has puzzled even theologians. And it says here that Mark 15, I'm sorry, I think it's Mark 14, actually. Mark 14, 51. It says, a young man was following him, wearing nothing but linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. What in the world is happening there? My guess is that he (laughs) left his upper room, his mother Mary's house, went out to see what is going on and wanted to witness Jesus' arrest. And of course, you know in that scene, it's intense. And not only did they want to capture Jesus, but they also wanted to capture all of his disciples And as he was trying to get away, he escaped naked and went home back to the upper room and figured, okay, I'll stay here for a little bit. (laughs) But he puts that embarrassing note in there. And by the way, none of the Gospels, uh, unlike Paul, where Paul said, I'm Paul, uh, a slave of Christ, write you this letter. None of the Gospel writers say who wrote it. And the reason why we know this because of church history, it's very clear that Mark wrote this and very clear that Matthew wrote his and John and Luke. The reason why Mark wanted no one to know that, well, he didn't want his name being in there for one reason. And if you miss this point as we go through the gospel of Mark, I think you'll miss every message that we preach for the next year, year and a half. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Mark's irrelevant. In fact, Mark wasn't even a disciple of Jesus, was he? He was a disciple of Peter and Paul. You know, when it says he's just a helper. You know those little spiritual gift tests, you know, that are worthless? They... You take them and, and then you realize, 
you score, I'm an apostle, and then you think you can plant 100 churches. It says you're a prophet, and then you go around speaking prophetic words to people, whatever. Those things are worthless, by the way. But the, it's interesting. One of them is helper. And some of you guys score in the realm of helper. You, you realize, oh, I'm a helper. I don't know. You ask maybe you, you, 10 questions, and somehow you go through this little thing, and you get the code, and it says helper on the top. And you're then what do I do with that? Do I help carry the musical equipment on stage, or what do I do with that? Well, the Bible does say that there is this gift called helper. I mean, it's in the scriptures, and it's listed as one of the gifts that the Spirit distributes to his people. And he was. He was a wonderful helper, but he was an imperfect one. He's one that failed. He was one that was scared. He was one that ran away from mission. Like many of us do, right? We run away. We, when the going gets hard, Maybe we can handle Miami, but forget Dubai. Maybe we can handle, you know, Belgium, but I'll never go to places in the Middle East. Or I could go to Japan, but not Malaysia. Things get hard on the mission field. And they continually, progressively get harder. And as you look at this life of Mark, you just can't help but think just the fact that he's just so human. But yet millions, millions of people have read his humble letter about Jesus. I mean, it's just, this is just, in the intro, I wasn't really all that excited to preach on just the intro. I went, let's get into it, you know? And you're like, okay, we need to spend some time on this. And it's just staring you right in the face of what is the beginning? Okay, he writes the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, and then he, boom, gets right into it as we'll see next week, John the Baptist. But what can we learn about this author this morning? That he's simply just like you and me. He's just a simple disciple. He's just a man who's just said yes to go along. Hey, Barnabas is like, hey, look, you're my cousin. You know, we've, we've served together in the temple. We've, we've helped the priests. We've, we've done as much as we can. I mean, we, we want to serve God. And, and Paul says, hey, why don't you come with me on mission? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do this together. And then you realize that, hey, this is getting a little too hard. And he deserts Paul. I'm sure probably not that many people could tell him no. And he deserts him, goes back home to mom. But it's interesting when he goes back home to mom, who is he under? Peter. He's in Jerusalem and he's learning about the gospel. He's listening to the words of Jesus. He's literally next to the one who is next to Jesus for three and a half years. And this is important because you might be thinking, well, wait, how can I believe Someone who is an, an eyewitness to the acts of Jesus. And we all know that all of Scripture, as Paul said, is God-breathed. And Peter was the one that told him to organize this particular message for people in Rome 
who, known, who knew nothing about the Jewish religion. So they could understand who Jesus was. Was it everything that Jesus said and did? Of course not. Even John said libraries couldn't even contain all the works and the words of Jesus. But it was compiled and it was just enough. And skeptics say, well, Mark was written first and Matthew copied it and elaborated on it and all these different ways to discredit the scripture. But this is the very word of God. And as we open up the pages of Mark, we will see Jesus, the true Jesus. And this is what exactly the Holy Spirit wanted us to know and wanted them to know in Rome. Wanted the Romans to understand that Jesus is who he says he is. As we look at the the different themes in a moment here. But I want to, again, just maybe, I suppose, pound into you one more time that this is the author. I love that we, church history, uh, we can look at church history and it's not inspired scripture by any means. I mean, the, the works of Papias and John, Justin Martyr, not Martin. Uh, I think he's somewhere over here. Origen and Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius and et cetera, et cetera. They write works, but, but they know, they've even said that this is not inspired scripture, but that you can trust the 27 books of the New Testament as inspired scripture. And these humble men were used by God to fill in the gaps. In fact, to confirm and to, to further your faith, to strengthen your faith in the scripture so that when you open up Mark, you know you're encountering the Lord, the real Jesus. And so we, I guess we could say that Peter simply helped write the gospel of Mark. Church history confirms this in Papias. He says this, Mark having become the interpreter of Peter wrote down accurately whatsoever he remembered. It was not, however, in exact order that he related the sayings or the deeds of Christ. It doesn't need to be in order to be inspired scripture. It doesn't have to have a certain order. What constitutes inspired scripture? That the Holy Spirit wrote it the way he wanted to through ordinary men. For he neither heard the Lord nor accompanied him. But afterwards, as I said, he accompanied Peter, who accommodated his instructions to the necessities of his hearers, but with no intention of giving a regular narrative of the Lord's sayings. Mark made no mistake in thus writing some things as he remembered them. For of no thing he took special care not to emote, excuse me, admit anything he had heard and not to put anything fictitious into the statements. And then Justin Martyr affirmed that in between 100 and 165 AD regarding Peter influencing Mark. And then Origen later on said in the 200s, Peter guided him. And I'll read this from Clement of Alexandria. He said this, that when Peter had publicly preached the word at Rome and by the spirit had proclaimed the gospel that, arose, that those present who were many exhorted Mark as the one who had followed Peter for a long time and remembered what he had spoken to make a record of what was said and that he did this and distribute, distributed the gospel. And then Irenaeus, after the exodus of Peter and Paul, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter himself, also transmitted to us in writing the things preached by Peter. 
And Eusebius said the same thing as well. And they said that the apostle, knowing by revelation of the Spirit to him what had been done, was pleased at their zeal and ratified the Scripture for the study in the churches. This was written by John Mark, who was a disciple of Peter and Paul. And we can trust the Word of God. We can trust it. As we get into the Gospel of Mark, we can trust his words. Because here's the thing, guys. You need to know this. Because Jesus is going to say some very challenging things to all of us. And we can't look at those sayings with skepticism. But by hearing the word of God concerning Christ, we have faith. And it's going to absolutely change our lives. Mark this date. Because as you look back a year and a half from today, when you look back at this date, Labor Day weekend, 2021, my life is profoundly changed by looking at the very words of Christ himself. And that's why we're here. It was written to Gentile believers in Rome. And the reason why we know that is because many of the Aramaic terms by, that Jesus said were translated. Uh, you'll notice that. You'll see things that say uh, that Jesus says. He'll, he'll say translated to talithakum uh, is an Aramaic word for little girl. I say to you, get up. And so you'll see that often. And it was written to the Romans because they didn't understand that. They didn't, uh, they didn't speak Aramaic. And so uh, Mark needed to translate that. And then Sons and Thunder were also translated. Be open, uh, eyes be open, Bartimaeus, Golgotha, Abba, Corbin, Forsaken Me were also translated as well. There was also an explanation. As you look at the Gospel of Mark versus the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that there's there's a lot of explanations of Jewish customs. And chapter 7, you see that as well. This was the Jewish custom, and so he's explaining things. And then he also admits elements of particular interest to Jewish readers, like genealogy. Uh, there's fewer Old Testament quotes, because this wasn't of interest to the readers in Rome. And I love that, that you could see the the way the Holy Spirit organizes this gospel to get the attention of his people whom he wants to save. And they also, they, cal- they calculate uh, time according to the Roman system. In chapter 6, you see that. According to like the fourth watch or the third watch, you see that that's a Roman system of time. Also, trans- uh, uses, the uses of Latin expressions like lepta, which is the Roman coin, or legion, executioner, flogging, Roman terms, the centurion, praetorium. And then also mentions Rufus, who is the prominent member of the Roman church. And so Mark 15, 21 says, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear the cross in Rome. And then later on, you see uh, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 16 towards the end as he's greeting a bunch of people. He says, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his, also his mother and mine. And so we know that this is written to the Romans at a very fast pace because those people needed to know what is the gist of, of the gospel. Just tell me in layman's terms what Jesus is all about. Is he really the truly the son of God? And if he is, prove it. And so the first eight chapters, there's about 19 miracles, or 19 miracles throughout the gospel of Mark and 16 of them are prior to chapter 8, which is the climax of the whole book. And we'll look at that in a second. 
But Mark 1.1, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then Mark 16.8, it ends abruptly. Now, this is the controversy that you see in your Bible, right? The very bottom of your Bible, along with John 8, says the same thing. It says at the very end, it has little brackets. It says the later manuscripts of this version, uh, basically, they had to add it in. It's not in the earlier manuscripts. It's in the later manuscripts. They had to add this in. But I think that is interesting. This is literally the last words of Mark. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment and gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's it. (laughs) Why was Mark okay with writing that? Because you got to go back to verse one, chapter one, that says this is only the beginning of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Mark witnessed was literally the book of Acts. And so if you want to see the rest of the story, look at the book of Acts, which he just did for the last year. But I think that's interesting. And we'll, we'll look more in depth at what do we do with verse 9 through towards the end of uh, verse 19. And there is a purpose to that. But it, the earlier manuscripts, and I believe it, it did end there just abruptly with, they were afraid, and that was it. <laughs> and what do you do with that? Read Matthew's gospel. No. Um, but the, the occasion was that uh, written, it was, it was written to Roman believers. The purpose was to show that, the, that he was the son of God. And I'll look at uh, Mark Chapter 8, verse 29, this is literally the middle of his whole gospel, and this is the most important phrase through the whole thing. And I would imagine that Peter, no, he didn't want him right there dead center. He didn't want to be uh, known. He was, he was humble enough. But in the middle, it just so happens to be Peter's confession, and then we'll see at the very end another person's confession, which is very important to the Romans to hear this. But it says here in uh, chapter 8, verse 29, who do people say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. And this is the whole point of it. The first, chap- the first eight chapters you'll see very rapidly is all about miracles, signs, and wonders to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. And that in the middle, he says, you are the Christ. And, and just showing literally as a, as, a, as a historian, just to see all those miracles that happened in the first eight chapters, and then the second eight chapters had to do with not, just, not miracles, but, also, but the last eight chapters had to do with him moving towards Jerusalem and the sacrificial death and the resurrection and the empty tomb. That's where it centers around. But I think it's interesting, the, the last confession that was made is in Mark fifteen thirty nine when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this is the son of God. This is the Son of God. So what are some other themes? You guys can write these down. We're going to look at this in depth. But some of the themes, not only was that Jesus is the Son of God, but two, that he's the suffering servant. In Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Where do you get that from? Isaiah 53, 10 and 12, which says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He would prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of 
the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he bear their, their, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him the portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and he interceded for the transgressors. He is a suffering servant. We saw in Isaiah and Mark is gonna prove throughout his life that he came to serve, not be served. And that is important to the Romans as they saw this great Caesar and how this, if this is the king, this is how kings act. But this king, Jesus, came to serve people, to die a horrific death so that he can save people and reconcile them to God. Number three, Jesus' humanity. He shows that he actually had emotions. Look at Mark 1.41. He was moved with compassion. He was human. He was moved with compassion, he touched people. He was willing to cleanse people. He also says in Mark 3 that he had anger. Jesus had righteous anger. He was grieved, it says, at the hardness of heart. Mark 6, 34, it says he felt compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. Mark 8, he sighed deeply. This is God, but also man. And then Mark 9, 36, it says that he took a child. This king is not like the kings in Rome. They hang out with lowly people. He also had human limitations. Mark four thirty-eight. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep. Yes, this God whom we served slept he slept he was tired mark 11:12 he became hungry mark 13:32 it says but of that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor what jesus the son but only the father alone this is jesus He had human limitations. He had emotions. He was human. But also Mark makes the argument, number four is that he is the son of God. He is God. He is deity. You know, what's interesting is that everybody in Mark was confused except demons. Except God himself. Except Except Jesus, of course he knew. He says the son of man, he called himself that. He called himself the son of God towards the end of his life. But watch this. Just I'm gonna rattle off a few scriptures and showing you that demons knew who he was. If that's not an apologetic, I don't know what is. It's interesting when you go on the streets and you talk to people about Jesus. They're like, no, he's not God. Demons believe that he's God. And the demons invented your religion. That woke everybody up. Mark, <laughs> Mark 1, 1. A voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son who I am well pleased. Of course, we know that God knows that who Jesus is. He didn't create Jesus. They are co-equal, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We serve one God in three persons. Mark three eleven, 
Whenever the unclean spirit saw him, in other words, he's a demon, unclean spirit, they would fall down before him, shout, you are the son of God. Now, it's interesting, in Philippians 2, the whole world, everybody, past, present, and future, will bow at the knee of Jesus. And the first ones to do that in the Gospels were demons. Were demons. Mark 5, 7, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, the son of the most high? God, I I employ you by God, do not torment me. Do not throw me into hell Yet, they knew where they were going. It's interesting when you talk to unbelievers that think they're going to heaven. They said, no, I'm not going to hell. There is no such thing. I'm a good person. And demons even knew where they were going. Mark 12, 6, he had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent them, or sent him last of all, to them saying, they will respect my son. That was a parable that he shared and that was in reference to God sending his only son to the midst of hardened Jewish religious people. And then Mark fourteen sixty one and 62, again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. I am. You can't get more clear than that. I mean, either Jesus is an outright liar, or he's just absolutely crazy. And you see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then Mark fifteen thirty nine, and when the centurion was standing right in front of him, he said, he saw the way he breathed his last, as I read earlier, even the centurion who was an unbeliever who had participated in the Lord's death, someone who is absolutely innocent, he realized, what in the world did I just do? God had mercy on this man and said, truly, this this man who I see on the cross is the son of God. God saved him. Number five, Jesus had authority over demons, diseases, sickness, sin, religion, and nature. We'll deal with the first one here, demons. Jesus had full authority over demons. Mark 1, 21 to 24 to 27, saying this, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Man was thrown into convulsions and Jesus literally just said, get out, go. And he did, which I love this. As I look through the gospel, as I look through even the, this is the very beginning, which we're gonna get to in chapter one. He healed many who were ill, various diseases, cast out many demons. Demons were not permitted to speak. He had total control over the demonic world. We don't have anything to fear. It's just over and over and over again. He's telling even the Romans, Mark's showing them that look, you can trust this Jesus. He has power over the dark world. You have nothing to fear. He has power over disease and illnesses. Mark 1, 30 to 31. Now Simon, Simon, who is Peter, mother-in-law, was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them. Mark two eleven. pick up your mat, go home. Mark 3, 5, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored. Mark 3, 11, 3, 10, for he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions and pressed around him in order to touch him, people touched his cloak and they were healed. He even raised someone from the dead, Mark 5, 41. 
He had power over sin, Mark 2, 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. There's a whole reason why he healed people so that he can confirm the fact, the, the bigger miracle, which is the forgiveness of sin. And then he's Lord over the Sabbath, over, in other words, over the religious system. There was, you'll see later there was multiple arguments that he would have with the religious people. And he's saying, I created the Sabbath and it is for man. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He was over traditions, Mark 7. And then he is over nature. Mark four thirty nine. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. Mark six forty one to 43, he took the five loaves and the two fish and he broke it and he fed 5,000 with it. Mark six forty nine to 51, and when he, they saw him, he was walking on water. You think that would be encouraging to people who are being persecuted in Rome? Look, this Jesus is powerful over nature, over the weather, over your sin, over the demonic world. He's just. He will judge the Romans. And Mark eleven fourteen and 20 said to it, may no one eat from this fruit again. And what happened a few verses later as they came back in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered up and it's from its roots. Withered. He had power over trees. He had power over nature. He's just showing you over and over, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse, chapter by chapter by chapter, he is the son of God. You can trust this one. You can trust him. One last thing I want to share with you guys, just as some of the other themes, he continually kept secret. It's interesting, and we're, we'll dive deeper into this, but he kept saying, every time he would, he would uh, heal somebody or do a miracle, he said, please do not tell anybody, just go home. What was he doing? He was concealing his identity when he was in public because he knew that those people could not be the heralds of the gospel unless they were saved. We don't need people running around the world just because they got their elbow healed telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. We need people that know him and know him as Savior and Lord. Amen? In other words, faith could not be coerced by some spectacle. Faith had to be done through one way, through the cross. He had to die and and Jesus wanted to be known after the cross, after the resurrection, after everything was said and done. Listen to this quote. Finally, Mark employs the secrecy theme in order to teach that until the cross, Jesus cannot be rightly known for who he is. The leopard may be cleansed, but Jesus enjoins him to silence lest he proclaim Jesus merely as a wonder worker. The demons may call Jesus the son of God, but Jesus silences them because those who oppose him cannot be his heralds. Even the chief apostle is commanded to silence after confessing Jesus to be the Christ. Isn't that interesting? Even Peter. Not because he was wrong, but because he did not fully grasp the meaning of his confession. Nor could he. Only at the cross can Jesus be rightly known. 
Isn't it interesting that even the centurion, he's the only one that got it right? <laughs> Don't you think that would be encouraging to Rome, Rome, to the Christians in Rome? These jokers who are trying to kill us? The power of the gospel even over the most cruel people that were known in that world. Only at the cross can Jesus be rightly known. Not simply as a great moral teacher or as the most noble person who ever lived, nor as a miracle worker or the answer to this or to that pressing question of the world. And he answered many very profoundly. But at the cross, Jesus is revealed as the suffering son of God whose rejection, suffering, and death reveal the triumph of God. Only at Golgotha can Jesus be rightly known as God incognito who reveals himself to those who are willing to deny themselves and follow him in a costly discipleship. It cost that centurion very greatly, didn't it? Because he can no longer be the same as he reported the duty the next morning. I think it's obvious the evangelistic purpose of this gospel. Like John 20, verse 31, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is not only encouraging for the unbeliever that is on the cusp of being saved by reading this glorious gospel, but this is also encouraging for the believer who are going through life's circumstances, that Jesus is Lord over life. He is Lord over the weather. He's Lord over nature. He can do anything he wants, but yet he was subjected to the Roman hands and killed him for one purpose, which he came was to save sinners and bring them to God for all of eternity. Also, the theme of repentance and belief. Believing is great, but unless one repents, they're not saved. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Also, another theme, he condemns superficial religion and hypocrisy over and over and over again. Mark 12.38-40, in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful, they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for a parent's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater judgment. You know what he's saying? Don't read this like a Pharisee. Don't be a know-it-all. Come like a child. In the coming months as we sit under Mark, come like a child. Come to church like a child. You know most of these stories. If, you walked in the, if you've been with the church, I don't know, for quite some time, years, five years, long, some of you longer, some of you shorter, but you know so many of these stories. They're very familiar. 
And we're going to go in depth, and I think that you're going to learn a lot more than you probably know in skimming the surface, but at the end of this. But I think it is important for us to come like a child. To come through those doors on Sunday morning and sit there with your Bibles and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me. I want to know you. I want to go beyond the surface. I want to go deeper. And then, of course, the, the last theme is the call to obedience. He calls his father, followers to come and to follow him wholeheartedly, to deny yourself, to love him above anything else. This is the glorious gospel of Mark. And the wonderful thing is it was written by an ordinary man, just like you and me. You know what you can learn from this is that God can restore and use anyone. And just as Peter was used by God, failed, restored, used by God, Mark also followed in the same footsteps, didn't he? Used by God, went on mission, failed, restored, and used by God. And you know what? All of us, Every single one of us, especially those who've walked this thing longer, you can see that pattern in your own life, can't you? You want to serve God? You fail. You seek forgiveness. You repent. You're restored back. You fail again. You're used by God. And that's really the rest of our life when you think about it. But I'm so encouraged by that that just this This man named Mark, which most of us probably didn't even know. It just says, oh, written by Mark. But as we look deeper behind the scenes in the background, we realize this is actually really profound for all of us. As we take this journey in the next year, year and a half, and we just say, Lord, would you use me powerfully? If you used a helper, I mean, just says he's a helper. This is like the lowest, I mean, if you're talking in terms of spiritual gifts, which, you know, Paul doesn't look at that as, he doesn't rate the gifts, so to speak, but if you, most of us would say, oh, helper is somewhere, apostle, you know, prophet, somewhere up here, helper, somewhere down there. (laughs) And then Paul said something interesting. He said, you know what, those who are behind the scenes, They deserve double honor, don't they? 1 Corinthians 12. And I think we're all here looking at Mark saying, man, when we see you in heaven, we'd love to honor you by sticking with it, by seeking the Lord, by being humble under Paul and Peter. I'm just saying, hey, can you imagine as Mark went back home, as he left Paul and he went back home to Jerusalem and as he's talking to Peter and he's like, I'm sorry, what are you doing back home? So wait, let me understand something. So you were under the Apostle Paul, and now you're back home in Jerusalem. Why? You mean you missed out on going overseas and seeing God work miracles? You know Paul can do some pretty amazing things. You don't want to see that. You want to be boring old Jerusalem. You just hang out here, the mother church. Because we all find ourselves scared at times. 
sometimes we, we, I'm sure he probably had moments where he's like, I'm kicking myself for leaving. Why did I do that? That was really dumb. <laughs> but I'll tell you a reason why he wrote Mark. is because I would imagine that he heard these words from Peter in 1 Peter 5, which we're all familiar with. But he said this, 1 Peter 5, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your servant, fellow elder, and witness of these sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sore gain, but with eagerness. Nor as yet as lording it over those allotted into your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And, to, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and, be, and, exalt, and, and he may exalt you at the proper time. What's happening here? Peter's like, look, I am the model. I am the model of failure. And later on, he says, look, this is my son, Mark. And you can put all these pieces together, and the thing that qualify him to write this glorious gospel, one out of the four gospels that millions and millions of people would read, even probably a preference over, Mark, or over Peter's letters. You probably can make argument that those gospels are way more important, not in importance in theology, but of course in popularity and, and even, you know, the gospel of Mark and the life of Jesus is because of his humility, because he decided to just get under and say, look, yes, I failed, but I need to get under authority. I want to be used by God. And the only way that I'm used by God is to be humble. And that's where we find ourselves, right? Next week, we'll pick up in verse 2. But uh, but I hope you're honestly encouraged and you're humbled as you get open, you open the, maybe even tomorrow as you read the first section of Mark 1 and realize that God used real people to write about him. Why he does, does that, I don't know. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. Why he uses me, why he uses you, I, I don't understand that. But let's just stay humble. Let's stay humble. I don't think at the time that he thought that he was going to be used by God to write one of four Gospels. There's no way. Because we understand that the, when he wrote this was right before Peter died, which Peter died around 68 AD in Rome. And he wrote that sometime before his death. And Peter and Mark, I'm sure towards the end of his life, just said, you know, I'm going to leave something to the next generations. I want to write about our Lord. And son, I want you to write it. I want you to write it. You know what else is profound here is that this church, this church started with just a family and somehow the elders of this church were just 18-year-olds 
that just decided to say yes. And those people are now pouring into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And you have a church that's built on Jesus is the son of God. But also the way we get that out there is through this powerful thing called discipleship. And that's how it continues and will continue until Jesus comes back. And so I want you to sign up to not only read this gospel, but to live it out and to find people to pour yourself into because Mark would have never, ever been written without the discipleship of Peter and Paul. And we would never be disciples of Jesus without the discipleship of Mark. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing gospel. Father, I pray that even though we just got through a simple introduction and we didn't even really get into it, we're just uh, amazed that you would use this man named Mark, a humble man, a helper. He was a helper. And I'm sure he just wanted to find ways to serve And Father, I pray that we would never neglect those simple things in this church, even to one another, just saying, how can I serve? How can I just simply serve the leaders around me? And how can I serve my roommates? And how can I serve my family? And you never know what you'll do with those who just simply say, I want to serve. You will do great things through them perhaps not write another gospel. In fact, you won't. But perhaps we'll plant churches in places that the name of Jesus has not been known. And you get to, for the first time, introduce this man named Mark that you were impacted by. Father, I pray that we would share stories like that in the decades to come. And we hold in one hand the words of John, come Lord Jesus. And we hold in another hand, like Paul said, it is better that I go be with Jesus, but for your sake, for the sake of people who yet have heard the name of Jesus, I will remain here and be faithful and serve and preach the gospel, plant churches, disciple neighbors, And Father, I pray that you would inspire us to keep before us Jesus, the family of God, and the mission. And Father, whether it be in Miami this year or in our own backyard as schools picking up at UCF in our neighborhoods, Father, I pray that you give us the boldness to share the gospel, that we would take what we're learning We'd apply it to our lives. We would not be one who looks in the mirror and walks away unchanged. Let us be people of the book, but let us be people who live it out and boldly proclaim your name everywhere. Just take a few moments to take all that in.
just to think the, the profoundness of just a simple man who said yes to you, but was not apart from the church. He didn't do great things apart from the church, but yet to face 